0: Hello, I'm Sarah Hapolloch, and this is in the news from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, how prepared are we for a world with far more older people and far fewer babies? We human beings are living longer than ever before.
1: Happy birthday to
0: you! I don't know how I got that age! It's true. I can't believe I got that in. At the same time, birth rates around the world are falling rapidly. Many countries are facing what's known as a baby bust. In other words, there's an insufficient number of children to maintain the population size. Over the next few decades, as the number of people over 65 grows and the number of people of working age falls, countries worldwide will face the massive challenge of caring for their elderly but not having enough young people to pay the bill. The number of babies the average woman is expected to deliver in her lifetime has dropped from nearly four in the 1950s to less than two today, and that could present an entirely different threat to society as we know it. Here in Ireland, this demographic challenge is no different. But after decades of underinvestment in care for our older citizens, are we at a disadvantage when compared to many of our neighbours? And is the falling fertility rate actually a bad thing for our planet, our climate, and for women? Stephanie Hegarty is population correspondent with the BBC, reporting on how demographic changes are transforming the way we live our lives. Stephanie, we know that fertility rates are falling across the Western world, and researchers actually warned last year of a remarkable decline in birth rates. They said the global fertility rate had nearly halved over the past 60 years. So why are birth rates falling?
1: Well, the interesting thing, I mean, the report last last year definitely identified this cliff face that we're facing when it comes to fertility. But in Western Europe, anyway, and the US and parts of of East Asia, this has been happening for quite a long time. Well, maybe not in East Asia, it's been happening quite quickly. But in Western Europe, you know, it's been since the 60s and 70s, really, that we're seeing this big drop in birth rates. And it's basically because of contraception and because of women's choices and the fact that more women want to work and have the choice to work and, and seem to be making the decision that they want to have less children. And interestingly, in almost every context, once that decision is made, it doesn't seem to go backwards ever. There's been quite a few different policies in countries all around the world, but especially in Japan, South Korea, and in the Scandinavian countries, where they've really tried to convince women to have more babies because they see a potential problem where we have an aging population and a much smaller tax net. But this really hasn't worked. There's been minor increases in some Scandinavian countries, but that's dropped off. So it's proving really hard to convince women to have more children. It seems to be that once people decide to have smaller families, it's hard to say whether they're happier, but that seems to be a a choice that is, that people are just, uh, yeah, sticking with. Can you give me an
0: example of maybe one or two countries that are really struggling with their falling birth rates and that perhaps might have used some of these campaigns to encourage women to have more children?
1: Yeah, the two kind of poster children for falling birth rates have been, uh, for a long time, have been Japan and South Korea because their populations are actually shrinking.
2: South Korea's birth rate is now the lowest in the world at 0.84%, well below the 2.1% needed to maintain a stable population.
1: Both have put a lot of money into trying to increase fertility rates, but they have this problem where they haven't been able to tackle a very patriarchal society. So I've spoken to to women in Japan and South Korea about the choice that they're making not to have children or just to have one child. And it always circles back to the same conversation that they're saying they don't want to work, to come home, to do all the housework, to do all the childcare and then go back to work again. It's just not a lifestyle that they're willing to accept anymore in this country if you have a child the woman must make an unconditional sacrifice this is the reason people have to quit their job so they choose instead of challenging that patriarchy and you know forcing men to do more they just choose either not to have children or to have fewer if you look at scales of countries where domestic work is shared more equally between men and women although i don't think they're there is no country in the world where it is equal. No, um, not at all. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the countries where that work is shared more equally tend to have higher birth rates. Scandinavian countries have done a lot of work to make parenting more equal. And um, one of the most successful policies seems to be getting giving men more paternal leave so that they can get involved in those duties from beginning of the child's life.
0: So are birth rates falling everywhere? I mean, what about Africa? Are, haven't the numbers been increasing in on the African continent?
1: So birth rates are falling everywhere and access to contraception is improving everywhere. Although there's definitely dark spots uh, and places where there's still really little coverage when it comes to contraception, and when it comes to women's choices. But we are still seeing rates dropping. But what's happening in a country like Nigeria is even though birth rates are are falling much more slowly than they are in Europe, you still have a huge population and a, a growing population of people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Those people are having children. So even though women are having less children, there's more women to have children. And that's because positive reasons, because we've decreased child mortality. So a lot more of those people survived past the first five years of life first five years are the most dangerous years. And now that we have things like vaccines, children are surviving. So that's why you've got this bulk of population in countries like Nigeria, and it'll continue to grow for the next 30, 40, 50 years, and then may start to drop off.
2: The stakes in this battle are far greater than any other we have ever fought. In the 1960s and 70s, an apocalyptic fear gripped America. The experts we interviewed told us population was the fundamental crisis. And our cities are going to be choked with people. They're going to be choked with traffic. They're going to be choked with crime. They're going to be choked with pollution. And they will be impossible places in which to live, and the explosions will be even worse.
0: So as you've mentioned with Nigeria, this growth in population will reach a certain point when it starts to slow down and then drop off, will that happen globally? Is there a point when numbers will just plateau and then start to decrease? And what will that mean on a global scale?
1: Yeah, that is the prediction. And the UN's prediction was that the global population would peak around 2080. They reevaluated that and said that the global population is likely to peak around 2064. It'll peak at 9.7 billion, not quite um, 10 billion. So it's still huge growth from where we're at now, another 2 billion people on on the planet. So what that means for the global population is we'll have much more old people. Many countries will be at 30% of their population over 65. And we'll have this imbalance. We'll have a lot of people in Africa. We'll have much fewer people in Western Europe and the US. And we're probably going to see a demand for... Immigrants, you know, right now we're seeing a real backlash against immigration, but some researchers are predicting that there'll be competition for immigrants because countries will be trying to bolster their workforce. But if, you know, if if that's not managed well, we could see huge imbalances, you know, very overpopulated countries and very underpopulated countries. While some Western
0: countries are putting additional measures in place to support their growing numbers of older people, how much are we doing here in Ireland to manage this population change?
2: These are issues that take up a significant portion of state expenditure. It's going to take up more. We know every year in the budget that you have fights over millions of euro. We fights over tens of millions of euro. Ultimately, we fights over hundreds of millions of euro. And this is is something that everyone is going to have to grapple with.
0: Arthur Beasley is current affairs editor with the Irish Times and has written about the profound demographic shift that Ireland is facing in the coming decades. Arthur, I want to ask you about our ageing population, but first, just to explain the demographics of a population or how many people there are of different ages is often represented for us in a chart. This chart is thicker when there are more people of a certain age and thinner when there are fewer. And if you look at how Ireland's demographic chart has changed over the years, it actually tells a story about our people, about our health, our wealth, our levels of immigration and how many babies we're having. What do Ireland's demographics look like right now?
2: Well, I mean, if you look at that chart, we've rather a lot of people aged between 30 and 50. And at the moment, we have something like 630,000 people over the age of 65. But as that very large cohort aged between 30 and 50 grow older in the next number of years, we're going to have a huge Increase in the number of people over the age of sixty-five. So the figures suggest that essentially by twenty thirty-one they were going to have one million people aged over sixty-five, and that by twenty fifty 2050, or twenty fifty-one, to be strictly accurate, the estimates suggest that there could be one point six million people aged over that age, and that essentially means that in 30 years' time there's going to be a million people more aged over 65 than there are right now. So this is a very acute long-term challenge for the state and indeed for society at large.
0: And how do our demographic trends in Ireland compare to other countries?
2: This is in line with trends in the rest of the Western world. However, our country is still a little bit younger than other countries in Europe. Right. So what it means is that we're a little bit behind the curve when it comes to this demographic profile, but the changes in Irish society will mirror those seen elsewhere. So the challenges we are going to face will be in line with those seen in other developed economies.
0: There are challenges right, involved in this. When people get older, it's more of a burden on the state, right?
2: Well, absolutely. And I mean, even though people live longer, They need more care. What the pandemic has shown in very sharp terms is that the care we have for the elderly is pretty much under considerable strain, notwithstanding very considerable expenditure. So, I mean, at the moment, we spend about a billion euro on care in nursing homes. As a state, we spend up to half a billion, a little bit below half a billion, on care for people in their homes. But as more and more people grow older, those figures are going to increase and increase quite substantially, because if in the space of 30 years, you've got to have a million more people over the age of 65, that is going to increase the level of resources required at state level to look after the people, the number working to provide the taxation income to the state to pay for all of this is going to be lower. Now put into the mix the fact that the population is going to expand at the same time and that will relieve some of the pressure but as a proportion of the whole the number of people of retirement age and ultimately relying on state help is going to increase.
0: And Arthur, you recently wrote about the experience of a 69-year-old woman from Dublin called Annie Corbello-Lang, who after a long and adventurous few decades living overseas, has now returned to Ireland and is faced with the dilemma of how to live in her elder years. Can you tell us a bit about her story?
2: I, I spoke to Annie a couple of weeks ago. She's a very, very uh, interesting and very alert person who is, is at the point of life where she, she, as, as would many of her age, be wondering what what is the... Uh, the long-term trajectory and what are their preferences.
3: I would love to have a situation whereby you know how you have sometimes a group of small houses with one bedroom maybe in you know or two at the maximum but anyway small little cottages
2: her preference is that she would not like to live in a in a nursing home
3: each of us lived or had an independent area there and then we'd have a communal area where we could all meet if we wanted to to have dinner or coffee or whatever and have talks and maybe create things people wanted to paint or write or whatever but that there was also the possibility possibility to just go off on your own if you didn't want to talk to anyone or see anyone, but that you had the opportunity to be in a group of people as well. And then we could also look at the different stages of people who might need more help.
2: But uh, when she looks around her in County Roscommon, uh, she doesn't know if anything like that is available in her area and she doesn't know how much it's all going to cost. And there's 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 an aspect of uncertainty there.
3: My problem is I do work part-time, which gives me a little bit of financial uh, addition to the pension. Uh, But, for example, I don't own my own house. And I was living with a friend during the pandemic and all that stuff. But now I need to be independent. I am worried that if I ever have to give up work completely, most of my pension will be paying the rent because the rents have just gone up incredibly.
1: The cost of renting or owning a home is a hot topic. And this latest data is likely to further stoke the fire.
3: The financial side of it for me is a little bit
2: scary. These are questions that everyone of her age is going to grapple with and they're questions that everyone as society ages will ultimately have to tackle in their own lives. And she says that even when you're at the age of 30, when few people are thinking about these kind of long-term issues, people of the age of 30 be thinking of other things entirely but that there is the inevitability of ageing because it's, the one, it's one of those things in life that uh, you simply can't hold back. Uh, people used to say, what are the certainties in life? Death and taxes, well, before death and, uh, comes ageing, you know.
0: So the pandemic has exposed the many weaknesses in the way we here in Ireland care for our elderly people. And it sparked a conversation about whether our system of institutional care Uh, nursing homes actually works. Leo Vrager, who was Taoiseach at the time, said we need to rethink our nursing homes. And Vrager was talking in the context of the pandemic, where nursing homes proved to be the optimum environment for the spread of the disease, unfortunately.
1: Today, we learned that almost one in five residents of nursing homes in Ireland contracted COVID-19 during
0: the pandemic. And meanwhile, for people like Annie Corbello-Lang, They simply don't like the idea of being in somewhere like a nursing home. They'd prefer to keep their independence, as most people would. So, Arthur, what is the alternative to nursing homes?
2: The thinking at the moment, and and this is the thinking for for some time, is the, the optimal option is that people should receive care in the home for as long as that is possible and practicable. Some people will reach a point in life where they are simply not going to be able to be cared for at home, and might have to go to a nursing home. But there is scope for the state to expand the kind of home care that is provided at the moment. This is something that's not subject to regulation. It's not subject to specific state funding in the form of the Fair Deal scheme, for example, that provides funding for some nursing home care. And to the extent that home care services are provided there are waiting lists for same. So it's essentially, it's an unregulated system and it's something that needs to be expanded vastly, even though people recognise it will never replace nursing homes. But given the large volume in elderly people that we're going to have over the years, it is something that needs to expand and to become more formalised, I think. That's the view
0: this will be very expensive and you also need the social will and determination to make something like this happen. Do you think there will be the drive to dedicate this much money to the welfare of older people? Or do you think that other issues like climate change or, or housing will take precedence?
2: The reality of uh, running any country is that you you have uh, competing claims on uh, on state resources. But uh, I think the reality of the, the demographic pressures is that There simply isn't going to be the choice but to go down this road because the fact that people age and the fact that people are living longer is a very good thing, but health issues arise in that context. Not everyone's going to be able to care for themselves in their later years. Not everyone is going to have people in their own family who can help and their needs would go beyond what is within the capacity of their family to provide even if they have family so, the, there's a certain inevitability about these problems. It's just that it's going to impose itself on our politics and our national debate and on our economy in a much greater way than it has done heretofore.
0: Coming up, could falling birth rates actually be a positive thing for humanity? So, Stephanie, how can governments prepare for these demographic changes? And what will be the economic implications when we reach a point where the majority of people in society are elderly?
1: In terms of the economy, I mean, what a lot of people always worry about is that this idea that the tax base is going to be so much smaller. But there are ways to manage that. And governments have to be looking at these at the moment. You know, you can increase immigration. That's basically what the UK has been doing for the past 30 years is just increasing immigration. And now with Brexit, the UK has to seriously consider how it's going to keep that up. You can change the tax structure. You can raise retirement age wouldn't be very popular. But if we're living much longer, do we want to be not working for 30, 40 years of our lives? You can get more women into the workforce. You can, we're going to have AI and more mechanization. So, you know, maybe we don't need as many people working. So there's a lot of ways you can, you can really deal with the economic impacts.
0: And I also want to talk about the positives of all this, of the falling fertility rate. I mean, climate is the issue of our time. Won't less people on this planet be a good thing for its survival and for the availability of resources?
1: Yeah, that is a huge argument um, and there's um, several campaign groups that are get in touch with me very often to remind me of this point. Um, <laughs> But it is uh, clearly less people will mean less demand on resources. But at the moment, you know, the, the problem is that even countries with falling populations are consuming a huge amount more than countries with rising populations. There's huge disparity in how much we consume already. So I don't think it's as simple a calculation as less people, less damage to the planet.
0: What about women? We've talked about women already and how one of the reasons, well, what the primary reason that we're seeing birth rate drop is access to contraception. But that's a good thing, right? I mean, this is something that women around the world have been working and fighting for for decades that women can have smaller families and pursue a career. Where does that leave us now?
1: Well, I think one of the important questions in all of that is are women having the number of children that they want to have? So, you know, there is evidence that some people aren't having as many children as they would like because of work pressures, because of lack of affordable childcare, because of the need for double income families now, which, you know, we didn't have in the the 40s or 50s. So I think we need to think, yeah, contraception is clearly giving women more choice. But are we at the point where people have the choice to have as many children as they want? But I think, It's government's obligations to create infrastructure that just allows families to choose. And that choice is, whether it's to have less or to have more, the choice has to be there. And I wanted to ask you about birth rates during COVID. Um,
0: With so many people stuck at home and out of work, there were predictions of a baby boom during the pandemic, similar to the boom in births we saw here in Ireland during the economic crash. Now, I, on a personal level, witnessed this boom because every woman I know got pregnant during COVID. I'm one of the only ones who didn't. But that may also be an age thing. Did that happen on a wider scale or did the birth rate actually drop during the pandemic?
1: Globally, it's, it, it seems to have dropped quite, quite drastically. And I think that was a surprise maybe to, to most people, but to demographers, it wasn't. Because usually whenever there's a shock or uncertainty in a society, birth rates do drop. Uh, so people make that decision, okay, I don't really know what's going on right now. Things are a bit insecure. I'm not sure about what's going on with my job. It's not a good time to, to get pregnant. And that's seen, you know, on a macro level in the 2008 crash, there was a massive decrease in global birth rates. But also uh, when you have local, local economies crashing and mining towns in America where the mines shut down and then they saw a decrease in birth rates after that. So on micro and macro levels, this is well documented. What I think demographers are looking at now is whether it's going to pick back up again or not. And after 2008, globally, birth rates didn't pick up again. So is that crash going to have a long-term effect or not will be really interesting to to find out.
0: That's all for today. You can read more from Arthur Beasley on demographic changes in Ireland on irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.